It was January 21st, 2008. Nancy and I had fallen asleep that night, but a couple of hours later, she woke me up and she looked at me with a very serious look in her face and she said, it's time. So I jumped out of bed and I grabbed the pre-packed duffel bag that we had all ready to go. And Nancy and I went over to the elevator of our New York City apartment building. We went down to the lobby level and we went through the lobby and went out onto the street and we hailed a cab. And we said, please take us to St. Luke's Roosevelt Hospital. We made our way there up to the labor and delivery floor and eventually to a delivery room where Nancy labored in pain all through the night. I remember the next morning, I was beginning to see some of the ambient sunlight coming streaming in through the windows from the sunrise. And something happened that I'll never forget as long as I live. Nancy, after writhing in pain for several hours, looked at me again, but for the first time in a while, the look on her face was not one of agony, but of almost bliss. She was looking beyond me, really, over my shoulder to that window behind me where now the sunrise beams were blasting in through the window. And she said, the sun is coming up. In the very next moment, our son, Riley, came into the world. It was the most awesome morning of my entire life. Now, it was an entirely different experience for Nancy. She too describes it as being an awesome morning, but her experience was also accompanied with a great deal of pain and sacrifice. There was another person who was having an experience that morning as well, Riley. Riley was probably having the most awesome morning of any one of us. He was going through the amazing process of being born. Now, Riley doesn't remember that morning. No, everything that happened to him that day happened to him. It happened beyond his control. It happened beyond his work, his labor. No, it was the labor of another. It was the labor of his mother that was done to him and for him. Riley was experiencing the most important day of his whole life. You know, Jesus described coming into the kingdom of God like being born all over again. It's true. This man, Nicodemus, came to him one night in the middle of the night, probably under the cloak of darkness, because this man had a lot to lose if people knew he was talking to Jesus. And this man, Nicodemus, came to Jesus with some questions on his heart that Jesus could identify right away. The longing of his heart was, how do I get into the kingdom? How do I get into the kingdom that lasts unto eternity? And Jesus looked at this man and he said to him, unless... You are born again. You'll never see the kingdom. Now, immediately, Nicodemus had a lot of questions. Let's read about it in verse 4 to see what Nicodemus' reply was. Nicodemus said to Jesus, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb 
and be born. Now, I don't know what Nicodemus's motives were with these questions. He might have just been being sarcastic. Or he was really expressing genuine curiosity and wonder about what Jesus had just said. How do I get into the kingdom? I have to be born all over again. What in the world do you mean by that, Jesus? And Jesus begins to answer him by giving a little bit of definition. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So Jesus is beginning to put some definition on what he means by this being born again for Nicodemus. He's saying that you were once born from your mother, you were born of the flesh, but in order to see the kingdom, you have to be born in the spirit. You have to be born again. Now, it seems that Nicodemus was still wondering more because Jesus goes on to define it even further. And Jesus basically says in the rest of his explanation that two things are necessary for this rebirth to happen, this birth in the spirit. The same two things that were necessary in our first birth, surrender and sacrifice. Surrender and sacrifice. In order to be reborn, we simply have to surrender to the process. In the same way as when my son Riley was born, it was not even something he remembers now. He was completely surrendered over to the will of a greater power, so to speak. So we must surrender our wills over to a work that is being done for us on our behalf. And in order to describe this, Jesus uses a metaphor here. He uses the metaphor of wind. He has us consider the wind. Look at the wind. We have no power over the wind. Jesus says this in verses 7 and 8. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. It would be a feeble attempt to try to control the wind. So what Jesus is inviting us into here is a consideration of a greater power that is beyond our ability to control. There's a process necessary in this second birth, in this birth in the Spirit, where we simply must surrender to this higher power, to this greater power. In the same way we can't control the wind, we can't control the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the will of God which acts on our behalf to give us this new life. We become like people surrendered over to the will of someone greater. There's a song that came out in the year 2000 by one of my favorite bands. The band is U2. And I believe this song, it's entitled Kite. I believe this song was written based on this very verse and this very concept from Jesus about the wind. Listen to the lyrics. They go like this. Who's to say where the wind will take you? Who's to say what it is will break you? I don't know 
which way the wind will blow. In summer, I can taste the salt in the sea. There's a kite blowing out of control on a breeze. You see, this song takes the metaphor that Jesus introduces, that of wind being beyond our control, and it adds an element to the metaphor, and that is of a kite blowing out of control on the breeze. That's what a kite does, actually. A kite is not in control. A kite is surrendered over to the control of the wind. Why is it so relaxing to sit on a beach and look up and watch a kite? Well, it's because the kite is doing exactly what it was designed to do. It doesn't resist or fight against it or try to do something else. No, it simply surrenders to the will of the wind. If a storm came by, it would blow the kite away. If a If the wind died down, the kite would simply gently float down to the beach. In the same way, a person who has experienced rebirth is a person whose will is surrendered over to the higher power of the Holy Spirit. That's what's required in rebirth. What does that look like in our lives? How do we surrender our wills over to the will of God? How do we become that kite on the breeze? I had a colleague once in ministry, and I was always so impressed with the effectiveness of her ministry. She always seemed to know what to say at the right time. She always seemed to know who to walk up to and minister to them, give them a word of encouragement. She always knew what to say, what not to say, what to do, what not to do. And finally, one day I asked her, I said, how do you always know? And she said she spends a lot of time in prayer simply asking the Holy Spirit to give her promptings of what her next assignment is. I was blown away by this because so much of my ministry had to do with my agendas and my lists and my things I needed to do and the things I thought I should do. I hadn't really considered until that point that I could surrender all those things over to the will of God until this woman showed me how to do it. This is a, this is a person whose life and ministry are like a kite out of control on a breeze. This is a person who's been reborn. A person who's been born not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Just like my boy Riley, his job that morning was to surrender to the will of his mother, the process that was greater than him, that was going on, that was bringing him into life. So we too must surrender over the process, the work, the labor of our God show us the way into this new life. I don't know if any of you have noticed this, like I have, but over the last couple of months, it seems really windy outside. Now, I don't know, maybe I'm just noticing it more this year because I'm working from home and I'm more observant of nature around me, but it sure seems really breezy out there. I wonder if God who controls nature, is inviting all of us into a place of surrender. I wonder if he's inviting us to become like kites on the breeze. You know, at the beginning of this whole thing, this whole situation that we are in, I noticed that a lot of us, myself included, we needed a lot of reminders that God is still in control. 
God is still in control. We kept telling each other that at the beginning of this whole thing. Why did we need that reminder? Well, I think it's probably because we had the illusion that we were in control. And when we suddenly realized we're out of control, this situation is bigger than us, it's bigger than our ability to manage it, we needed to remind ourselves there is someone who's still in control, and it's God. You know, I saw a friend of mine during that time. He's also a pastor, but his congregation is to people who are very materially poor. In fact, most of them are Haitian immigrants. They spent their whole lives in Haiti. And I saw this friend of mine, and I said, how are your people doing in the midst of all this? And he looked at me and he said, they're fine. They're fine, Nathan. They spent their lives in Haiti. They survived earthquakes and poverty and corruption. They're just happy to be here at all. This whole situation that's going on, they're pretty much unfazed by it. And I was really struck when my friend said that because I realized that I wasn't unfazed by it all. Why is that? Maybe it's because I, unlike them, had the illusion that I was actually in control of things. And so I needed the reminder, God is in control. And I just kind of wonder if he has sent all this wind, all this breeziness over the last several weeks as a gentle invitation to all of us. Surrender your will. Be born again in the Spirit by surrendering your will to the will of God. Ask me for promptings. I'm in control. I am God. You are not. Surrender to the higher power. So surrender is necessary for this rebirth. The second thing is sacrifice, sacrifice. My wife, Nancy, labored in pain through the night sacrificially so that Riley could be brought into the world. In the same way, our rebirth, our birth in the spirit requires sacrifice. Jesus, to describe this truth, harkens back to an ancient story. Let's hear about it in verse 14. Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, why did Jesus suddenly bring out Moses way back in the wilderness? Well, let me tell you what happened back there. You can read about it in Numbers chapter 21. The people of God, they've been released from captivity from Egypt, and they're out in the wilderness, and they're grumbling, and they're complaining, and they're full of sin. And so God sends into their camps a consequence for their sins. The consequence is what's described as fiery serpents, fiery serpents. And they would slither through the community and bite the ankles of people. Many people got sick and some people even died. Fiery serpents sounds terrible to me. I've experienced fire ants before. I can't imagine fiery serpents. But anyway, the people realize that they are being sinful because God sends this consequence for their sin. So they go to Moses and they say, Moses, we've been sinful against God and against you. What should we do? And Moses goes to prayer. And in prayer, God tells him, construct one of those serpents out of bronze, place it on a pole, and put it in the middle of the community. Anybody who's been snake bit simply needs to look up at that pole, to look up at the consequence of their sin, and they will be healed. 
Why did Jesus suddenly start talking about this ancient story out in the wilderness with Moses and the people and the serpent on a pole? Well, Jesus is equating that story with what would happen to him. Jesus says, just as Moses put up the serpent on the pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, so must I be lifted up. Jesus knew that he too would be lifted up, not onto a pole, but onto a cross. You see, the consequences of our sin would be held up in our midst. The people looked up at the consequence of their sin, those fiery serpents, and they were healed. Jesus is saying to us, do you want to be reborn? Do you want this new life? Behold the sacrifice that's been done for you. Look at the consequence of your sin. Gaze upon the cross. Do you see what's happening there on the cross? The consequences for all of our sin are being placed upon Jesus. And what is Jesus doing in that moment? He's sacrificing. He's working. He's finishing the work. He's laboring. Jesus is sacrificially laboring so that new life can be brought out. In the same way that my wife Nancy sacrificially labored throughout the night so that my son Riley could be brought into this world, so Jesus sacrificially labored even to the point of death on the cross, paying the price for all of our sins so that we could have second birth, so that we could be born in the Spirit. This is what he's done for us. Sacrifice. It's necessary for birth. Now, there's been whole fields of Christian theology that have come out of that truth. And unfortunately, they have taken that truth and they've turned it into basically a guilt trip. It goes something like this. Maybe some of you have experienced it. It says, don't you know what Jesus did for you? Don't you know the pain he went through? Don't you know Jesus died for that sin that you just did? You should feel very bad about it. But this is not what Jesus was doing. He didn't die so that we could feel guilty about it. Imagine with me if my son Riley went to Nancy and said, Mommy, you must be really mad at me for all the pain you went through when I was born. Nancy would say to him, No, sweetheart. That was all done in love. Yes, there was pain, but you were brought into our lives. We love you. In the same way, God looks at all of us and he knows the pain he went through to bring us into eternal life with him, but he doesn't want us to feel guilty about it. He did it in love. Because of that sacrifice, we are reborn into a life that lasts unto eternity. So that means we get to be with him forever. This is what God wants. He wants relationship with us. So he sacrificed so that we could have second birth. Two things are necessary to be reborn. Surrender, where we surrender our wills to the will of God like a kite on the breeze and sacrifice. By God's grace, the sacrifice is not done by you or by me. It's been done by someone else. It's been done by our Savior. We need only to look upon the cross to see the consequences of our sin, to experience that 
that rebirth, that new life, that entrance into the kingdom. If you're watching this right now, and you felt a little stirring in your heart over the last few minutes to surrender your will, to become like a kite on the breeze, to say, not my will, but yours, O God. And if you, in your mind's eye, were able to behold the cross, to be able to see what happened there as a consequence of your sin, then guess what? You have all it takes to be reborn. You are being born again. You are entering into the kingdom. You are entering into the new life that God wants for you. Welcome. Welcome. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him may not die but may have eternal life. Amen.